Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is Buttheads, Bullies, and Beavis. Part 3, The Beavis, featuring Michael Davis. But uh, we, we started this series, and we've been talking about how to deal with difficult people. We're talking about how to deal with difficult people, not people who do anything, uh, you know, illegal or, you know, not like terrorists or anything like that, or, or people who commit a crime. We're talking about difficult people that it, it's not, what they do is not necessarily sinful, it's not necessarily a crime, but it definitely hurts, it definitely has an impact on us, it's definitely a bad experience, and they're just, they're hard to deal with. And so when we talked about about the first week, we talked about the butthead or the mean person, right? And, and I asked you th- this question. I asked you, you know, what would it look like to return good for evil? We talked about the story of Nabal and David and Abigail and, and how, how we should return, you know, good for evil. When somebody does something mean to us, it's an opportunity for us to do something remarkable, not, not, not predictable. So it's an opportunity for us to do something that Christ would do for us to return good for evil. So I asked you, I said, what, what would that look like? What would it look to live that way? And then last week we talked about the bullies, right? Which bullies are a little bit different. They're manipulative and it's very uh, tempting to adapt to them or to fight back with them as well. But, but I asked you this question. I said, what would it look like to be faithfully innocent? Which Daniel was. In the story of Daniel in the lion's den, as all these different people were jealous of him, which is why they bullied him, what would it look like for us to be like Daniel and just remain faithfully innocent? through the whole thing, to just keep doing what we're doing, to stay on course, to not change who we are for them, but through the whole thing to remain faithfully innocent. And so this week, we're, we're going to wrap this series up, and then next week we're going to talk about groups. So I hope you come next week because we're going to talk about how important groups are. But today we're going to talk about the Beavis, which some of you, you know, you, you, you grew up in the 90s, right? And like I did, I was, an, I was a 90s kid, and you might remember Beavis and Butthead, right? I mean, when I had to think of bees for this thing because I had the bully, I was like, yeah, Beavis, Butthead, yep, that all goes together, right? And Beavis, if you remember that, that 90s cartoon that was on MTV, if you're allowed to even watch it, uh, that you remember that, you know, Beavis was just kind of like ignorant, right? I mean, it was a story of these teenagers who loved rock and roll, but just kind of ignorant, definitely some screws missing there. And so that's kind of what reminded me of the Beavis. And, and the Beavis to me is kind of like a, an ignorant person. Right, somebody who definitely needs a lot of your attention. And it's different with the Beavis than the butthead or the bully, because the butthead and the bully, they're usually somebody outside of your circle, but the Beavis is definitely inside of your circle. The Beavis is a friend of yours, or a family member of yours, or a kid of yours, or a coworker of yours, somebody inside of your circle. And but they're just there's somebody who just constantly needs your attention. You know what I'm talking about? Like that person who just always needs your attention, and they need just a little bit of extra attention too. Like they need a little extra work, and they're just they're just kind of kind of ignorant, right? Here's some descriptive words, some ways I would describe the beavis, right? Short-sighted. That friend, that family member who's just a little short-sighted, who's just all about the the here and now. They just, they kind of live for the moment. They're not planners by any means. They're not budgeters. They're not organizers. They just kind of live for the moment, like, you know, especially like with their money. They're like, when they see something, they're like, I need that. They don't need that. 
you know that they probably shouldn't even buy that because you know that they're you know in trouble or they either have financial issues and you're like no you don't but they're short-sighted and they live for the moment they're all about the here and the now and they just kind of go wherever the wind takes them which is never ends up good does it and they're easily distracted I mean you'll be talking to them and it'll be like squirrel you know, I mean, you're talking to them, and they're just, they're so easily distracted. Sometimes it looks like they're on the right path. It looks like they're doing the right thing. And then what happens? Bloop, right? They just kind of dip. They dip left. They dip right. They go, and they go, hey, no, 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 come back, come back. You were doing so good. Come back, come back, come back, come back. And you got to reel them in. It's that friend, that family member, that spouse, that kid who needs just a little bit. Come here, come here, come here, come here. You're doing so good. You're still doing so good. Just stay on. Stay on the path. Stay on the path. Stay on the path. And emotions are up and down, right? One day, it's like, this is the best day ever. Second day, I, I'm so lonely. I'm so sad. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And then the next day, they're listening to Brittany, right? And they're like, man, life is so good. And you're like, good, I'm glad. And the next day, they're like, I'm lonely. Be my friend. I need your attention. Right? So, you know, their emotions are up and down. And they're, they're just they're super immature, right? They're super immature. So when I said Beavis, if somebody next to you went, uh, that's them, okay? They're here. <laughs> they're here with you. Okay, and if in the middle of the sermon they take out their phone and they get distracted, just put your hand on their knee and go, listen, please. He's talking about you. Okay, anyway, so that's the Beavis. And so you already have somebody in your mind and you're trying not to make eye contact with somebody right now. Okay, so you probably brought them to church today. And when it comes to the Beavis, I mean, these people, they're really, they're draining. They are difficult and they're difficult than the bully or the butthead. I mean, you don't hate them, but they are exhausting. And you know what the truth is, is that a lot of times they, they disappoint you, right? They can be very, very disappointing. And so one of the first temptations, you know, we've been talking about we have different options with the bully and, and, and the butthead. But when it comes to the Beavis, really, I think there's only one thing that we, we're really tempted to do, and that's this, is to give up on them, right? I mean, the Beavis... You, sometimes you think, that's it, man. Like three strikes and you're out. You, you have disappointed me far too many times. This is, this is getting a little ridiculous. Like I keep hoping for you, and then you let me down. And I keep hoping, I keep being hopeful for you, and you let me down. And you just, man, you're just not changing things around. And you know what? It's just getting to be like it's too exhausting. It's too much. So uh, I'm done. You know, you've had, uh, you've had too many opportunities, too many chances. I'm, I'm done. And it's very tempting to want to give up on that. But I've got bad news for you. You can't. You can't give up on your Beavis, okay? Because of what Jesus said. And that's what I want to share with you today. So this story doesn't come from anywhere but right out of Jesus' mouth. And there was one day where Jesus was hanging out with a whole lot of people. He gathered all these people around. This is in the, the middle, the nitty-gritty of his ministry. And so all of these people, you know, he pulls them around. And all of a sudden is this, this opportunity. And some Pharisees come up, and, and this is what happens. It says this in Luke. It, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners, a lot of different kind of people, were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So everywhere that Jesus went, there's all of these different people, right? 
just a wide variety of people, kind of like our church, right? Just a wide variety of different types of people. And then there were always, you know, the, the Pharisees and the lawmakers and the teachers of the law kind of on the outskirts just judging, right? Just, just looking at this man, judging. And one of the problems they had with Jesus is when they thought that Jesus was coming, when they thought, the prophecy, when they thought about the prophecy of Jesus, they thought, well, this is going to be our hero. This is going to be God in human form. This is going to be the king of kings here on earth. And what king would hang out with such low-class people? What king would hang out with sinners? What king would hang out with, with tax collectors and, and awful types of these people, these, you know, these common folk? He would be hanging out with the higher class, the upper class. And so they scoffed at Jesus. And I think many times when this was happening, Jesus, he heard them right? Kind of like that person who's talking about you, and they looking at you, and you can, you know they're talking about you, and you're like, you're not that far away, bro, okay? I, I, I can hear everything you're saying about me right now, and so I think Jesus heard this, and I think he knew what was going on. I think he was very aware, and so Jesus just broke out into parable telling, or uh, sermon illustration telling, and so Jesus breaks out into this parable, and this is what he says. Jesus told this parable, and everybody can hear him, he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Let's say you have a hundred sheep and you lose that one. You know that one I'm talking about? You know that one dumb sheep that you have? You know that one sheep that just always is constantly running off, constantly running away? That one sheep, you have a hundred of them. They all fall in line. They're all normal. They're all such good sheep. And then you've got this, that one sheep who just has some loose screws in his head. I don't know if that sheep got dropped when they were a baby. I don't know what in the world's wrong with it, but he's just constantly like, what's over here? You know what I mean? And so Jesus, he tells this story, and everybody knows where he's going with it. Everybody understands. And I mean, the audience is just going, oh, yeah, the one sheep. Yeah, I know. The one out of a 100. Yeah, I know. His name is Chuck, and he's over there chasing butterflies with his crack hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> He's my son. Yeah, I know. <laughs> know exactly who you're talking about, Jesus. The one. He's mine. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. And so Jesus goes on. And this is what Jesus says. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? And everybody's listening to this. And they're going, oh, yeah, I mean, you got to. Because Chuck's going to die on his own, you know? I mean, look at him. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, I guess you do, Jesus. You're right. You, you always go after that one. But, man, that one, oh, my goodness. And, and what I love about everything that Jesus says, it, it's not just about doing the right thing. It's why you do the right thing. It's how you do the right thing. It's about your heart as you do the right thing. And so Jesus really breaks it down, makes it very practical, and he talks about that matter of the heart. And this is what he says. He says, and when he finds it, he, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are listening. Jesus knows that the Pharisees and the lawmakers and the teachers of the law are all judging these people. 
and many of the commentaries that I read, you know, uh, said that the people who were all around Jesus, they were not all sinners. Many of them were followers of Jesus. But what happened was is the Pharisees labeled them all sinners because they weren't up to their standard, up to their code. So when Jesus talks about the sinners and going after the sinners, he's just using their word. He's using their label. He's saying, yeah, okay, so these people, whatever you want to call them, the, the lost, the broken, the hurt, the lower class, the misfits of the world, you call them sinners, that's fine. Well, all of these sinners around me, all of these people, all of these difficult people, these are my people. Jesus was saying this. Jesus was saying, and I'm here for them. I'm here for the difficult people. And I just wanted to make sure I was correct. This is not a direct quote from Jesus. This is just something I'm really, really sure he said. Okay? So, but he was basically saying, I just don't want to get struck by lightning because that would end my nine-year career. Anyway, uh, but I'm here for them. I am here for the difficult people. I'm not here for the righteous. I'm not here for the people who know better. I'm not here for them. I am here for these types of people. You know, that exactly is what we wanted to be here for when we started this church. Even when we started New Life 21 years ago in O'Fallon, when my dad started that church, it was all about reaching the difficult people, about reaching the lost, about reaching the sinners, the people who didn't fit in, the people who, who, who were told before they be could become a member of the church they had to stop smoking, or who, who were told before they could join the church or serve on the team or teach the kids they had to be this certain image, they had to fit this, this certain cookie cutter that the church had created and made up in their own mind. We were, came and we were here for those types of people. We, we wanted to become a church for people who anyone could walk in and say, this is a special place. This is different. This is genuine. This is real. Everybody's got their mask off and everybody, they're just, they're being themselves, but they're on a journey towards Christ. One of the things I loved last night I shared with Chris afterwards is our magician comedian that we had. He's the same one that we had in 2019. And he, uh, last night was his first performance since the pandemic. He hadn't performed since March of 2020. So over a year, he hasn't performed. And let me tell you, he was so nervous. But afterwards, I went up to him and I, and I thanked him for being here. And he said, man, Michael, he goes, I can't tell you how much I needed this tonight. He said, this pandemic took magic away from me, and you guys brought it back. And he said, and your people, man, he said, I tell you what, your people, there's something special about this place. There's something unique about these people. I don't know what it is, but my goodness, you people just touched my heart tonight. And it's just, he said, I'm not a Christian, but man, if I was, this is where I'd want to be. That's the kind of church we are. And I think that that's the kind of Jesus we have, is a Jesus that's here for the difficult people, and a Jesus who makes it as easy as possible for those who are turning to Christ. And so, Jesus continued on, 
And he tells this parable of the coin, which I'm not going to read, but I, I want you to read it this week. This week, if you need some reading material, go look up the parable of the lost coin and read that for your devotions this week. But he continues on and he tells another parable right after that. He's just spouting off parables. And again, these are parables that people had heard multiple times. And it's the parable of the lost son, or some of you may know it as the parable of the prodigal son. And this is what Jesus says. He goes, there was a man who had ten sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, so here's what's going on here, right? You guys know about inheritance, right? You guys know uh, about, you know, uh, the inheritance of like when somebody passes away, they, they give you an inheritance. They give you your wealth. Well, this son, he's got two sons, and one of them is a Beavis, okay? We'll call him Buddy Beavis for today, all right? So Buddy Beavis, right, he's got some screws loose. He kind of needs a lot of attention. He just decides to walk into his father's, father's room and goes, hey, you know what? I don't want to wait till you're dead. Why don't you just give me that now? Just go ahead. Let's just, let's just do this right now. Not going to wait till you're dead. Could grow bigger, you know, could help you, you know, grow the family business. But ah, let's just forget all that. I just want to pretend you're dead now. And you go ahead and give me all my, my, my part of the estate. Cool? I mean, this guy's got some screws loose, okay? And so this is, this is, this is what happens next. So what did the dad do? Well, he, he decided to give it to him. So he did. He, he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. So get this. Not only does Buddy Beavis say, I want my inheritance now, but also he just abandons his family. He just goes, you know what? I'm out. See you guys later. I'm hitting the road. I'll see you guys. He abandons his responsibilities. He, had, he probably had a job. He was probably some sort of manager over his father's account. He, he probably had some kind of duty because we know the other son later on in the story we learned what he's doing. He's out working in the field. And so this son, Buddy Beavis, he just decides, I'm out. And he abandons everybody. He doesn't think about anybody else. He's so short-sighted. He's living for the moment. And he's so up and down. And he just, he's so immature, he just leaves. And he takes half of his estate, half of his father's estate, everything that half of his father owns. He just leaves, right? And then what happens next? And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So not only does he take his father's account and spend half of it, take half of it and spend it all, but he, he gets rid of it like that. I mean, we don't know how long it could have been in a night. It could have been in a weekend. I mean, this guy, he just hits the strip. He goes to Vegas, and it just tells us wild living. Let your imagination run wild. But he spent it all with no regard for anybody else. And so he spent everything, and it's gone. And then Jesus tells us what happens next. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. Now, if you don't know the context, at this time in the world and in this part of the world, famines were so, such a common occurrence. They happened all the time, which is why we see so many parables and stories about preparing for famine, because it could happen at any time. And so even probably, I imagine, as the father gave the son his part of the estate, he probably even told him, now son... I don't know what you're going to do with this. I have a pretty good feeling what you're going to do um, because I see a bunch of glow sticks in your backpack. But remember that a famine could happen 
any time, okay? Like anything could happen at any time, but specifically like a famine could come up, so you need to prepare. You might want to invest. You may not want to spend all that money in one place. You may want to put some in your savings account or, you know, in, in your retirement account. You may want to be very careful. I mean, how many times do we look at our Beavises and we go, hey, look, I can see in your eyes you're about to make some stupid mistakes, right? I know where this is going, and I just want to maybe tell you to maybe change some things around. Maybe, maybe save a little bit. Maybe, maybe wait. Maybe not just go out and do what I think you're going to do. Just sit on it, sleep on it, you know, and just wait. But you just know, right, with the beavis in their head, they're, they're saying yes, but inside they're confused, right? I mean, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I'm going to go do what I originally planned to do because I didn't hear anything you said, right? You just know that it's going to happen. And exactly what the Father predicted happened, happened. And that's what happens a lot of times with our beavises, right? Is that a lot of times we know where it's going to happen, and then it, 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 we're, we end up right, you know? How many times do we kick ourselves and we go, I told them. I told them, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. I warned them. I told them. And that's exactly what happens to Buddy Beavis. So then the story goes on, and Jesus says, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, understand, this is like the lowest job you could possibly have. The very lowest job you could possibly have. I mean, this is, this is below a servant is where we're at now. And so he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. I mean, nobody was helping him. Nobody was giving him anything. He was, at, he was just at the lowest point in his life, which eventually every ignorant person hits. Every ignorant person, they eventually come to that place where they hit that wall. And man, we so badly don't want to see them hit that wall, but we know they're going to learn their lesson. We know they are. And then what happened is so interesting. It says, when he came to his senses, which just means a light bulb came on, right? A light bulb came on, and he said, wait a minute. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. You know what I'll do? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. All of a sudden, things start to make sense. And he goes, oh my goodness, why am I here? I could go home, I could be a servant to my father, and I could be living way better than I live now. Oh my goodness, you know? And that's what every Beavis does, right? You know this about the Beavis, right? You're like, you're a moron, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb comes off, and they get smart for an instant. And you're like, hold on to that. Hold on. Yes, yes, yes. Now you're making sense. Finally. Oh, my goodness. How long have we prayed for you, dude? Right? So the light bulb finally comes on, and he goes, I'm going to go back. And that's the thing I want you to know about the Beavis. And you know this to be true. The Beavis always comes back, don't they? They always come back because they realize how good they had it. They realize how good of a friend you were. They realize you were not the worst spouse on earth. Oh, shoot, I was actually pretty lucky. <laughs> All the men in the world are way worse than this. All the women in the world are way worse than this. Oh, I think I made a mistake. I need to come back, right? Family members as well. Oh, my goodness, I miss my family. I, didn't th I think I said to them I didn't need you, but it turns out I really do. Oh, no, right? The Beavis always comes back. And here's my question for you today. Here's what I want you to wrestle with. What do you do 
when the Beavis comes home. When that friend comes back into your life, when that Beavis comes crawling back, when they start to send you that text, when they send you that message, when they give you a phone call, and they go, oh, hey, man, what's, uh, what's going on? Just uh, wanted to check in. We haven't talked in a while. You're like, yeah, I know what you're doing. I told you this was going to go badly, and you didn't listen. And now you realize I was right. And here they come, here they come, here they come, here they come, here they come. What do you do when that happens? Well, Jesus tells us what the Father did, and what the Father did is what we're supposed to do. So Jesus says, the Father, but while he was still a long way off, Buddy, Buddy Beavis was a long way off, his Father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father was outside, and this is such an important part of this. The father was outside looking for his son. The father was outside looking out over the horizon, hoping that the day would come where he would see his son off in the distance coming home. And it says that that when he saw him, he had compassion for him. Let me ask you something. When your Beavis comes back around, do you go, I told you so? Do you say, oh, not again? Or do you have compassion for them? Because I think a lot of times what we say is, that was it. That's it. I'm done. Three strikes. You're out. I'm tired of this. This is exhausting. This is too much. I'm finished. But the Father who had lost half of everything he had to the son, who had squandered it in a day. He sees his son, and he has compassion for him. And then it says, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, which was a sign of acceptance. Which He embraced his son. He embraced him. He loved him. He took him in. And then the son immediately begins to apologize. The son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He begins trying to give this excuse, tries to explain, tries to give this apology. And you've probably had the Beavis do that to you too, right? You've probably had that ignorant person give you that apology, that explanation of why they did what they did or why they said what they said. And how do you respond to that? What do you do? Well, this is what the father does. The father, he goes, but the father, and this is so important, this is important writing, but the father, meaning he did not do what is predicted, He did not do what most of us do. Because normally what we would do is after apology, we would go, continue on, right? (laughs) I'd like to hear more. (laughs) Tell me how much of an idiot you were. Just use some new adjectives and adverbs, right? I mean, we'd like, "Uh uh-huh, keep going. I'm not over it yet, right? But the father, but the father, but the father didn't do what was predictable. He did something remarkable. But the father didn't do what most of us would do. But the father, he said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Let me ask you something. Oh, he also says this. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
but let me ask you a question. When difficult people come back into your life, do you need a valid excuse to love them again? Think about that for a minute. When difficult people come back into your life, do you need a valid excuse to love them again? And let's be honest for a minute. For probably 99.9% of us in this room, the answer is yes. Right? Before I love them again, before I am friends with them again, before I accept them again, I'm not talking about trust. Okay, I'm not talking about trust. I'm talking about love. Before I love them again, I want to hear their apology. I want to hear their excuse. I want them to reiterate to me so that we're on the same page that they were a beavis and that what they did was wrong. So until they give me a good excuse, go ahead, try to explain yourself. I'm listening. Go ahead. I've been waiting for this apology. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for you to tell me what I want to hear. But can we be honest for a minute? Is any apology ever enough? No. Is any excuse ever good enough? No. Do we ever go, okay, well, that made sense. Okay, cool, we can be friends again. Hey, what's up? No, we don't. We're still hardened. We're still bitter. We're still sour. And we still have doubts about them. And many times, even after they apologize, even after they give us an excuse, we still keep them at an arm's distance. Cops are coming for me. All right, I got to finish this up. All right, quick. I knew this day would come. I'm so sorry. My name's not really Michael, it's Eagle Montoya. Um, sorry. Squirrel? I'm a Beavis. Shoot. No. Um, But when difficult people come back into your life, do you need a valid excuse to love them again? And for most of us, the answer is yes. But, but not for the Father. And do you know why? Because the Father was focused on what was most important. And what was most important is this. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. See, in my experience as a pastor, this is what I see happen. I see friends, I see coworkers, I see families. And, and man, you know, sometimes we're a beavis, sometimes they're a beavis. But there always comes that moment where the light bulb comes off and people come home. And all of a sudden, the light bulb comes off, and people make sense, and people recognize that what they did was wrong. And the beavis, they want to come home. But do you know the reason they don't always come home? is because they don't know how you're going to react. See, sometimes the reason your kid doesn't come home, your family member doesn't come home, your spouse doesn't come home, that friend never comes back, is they're afraid... That when they come back, and no matter what apology they give, it won't be good enough, and that you are going to rake them over the coals. That they, you're going to make them feel even worse than they already feel. And so you know what they do? Then they don't come back home. And they don't come back into your life. 
because they don't want to come and feel worse than they already feel. Which tells all of us this. What happens next is dependent on you. You have the power. What happens next is entirely dependent on you and how you try you how you choose to treat them. Because they're scared of you and they're worried and they're in doubt and they know they hurt you and they know that it would be completely understandable for you to label them as a lost cause, write them off and be done. So sometimes they don't come back. But what would change that is if we had a heart that was like the Father's. That we had a heart that was like Jesus's. That for around the people around us all the time, we would show grace and mercy and love for the difficult people. So that if there ever comes a point in time, look, this is parents specifically. I want you to listen here. This is so important. This is going to save you so much, okay? There's going to be a point in time where your teenager or your, when they become a teenager or a young adult, they mess up. They mess up and they need to come home and they want to come home. But they have watched you for 15 to 20 years how you treat other people when they screw up. And that will paint a picture for them of what they expect from you. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a home where my pastors forgave and had mercy and had grace for difficult people. And let me tell you something. As a teenager, there were times in my life where I messed up. And I knew I could go home and get the help I needed. Because I knew that when I ran home, my dad would be looking for me. It's important that with the difficult people now, you show them grace and mercy and you don't write them off. Because there will be a day when your child is going to mess up, going to be a beavis, going to be a little ignorant, going to make mistakes, and they're going to need to come home. But they may not think that they can because of how they've seen you treat other people. To wrap this up, Paul, he said it best. Paul wrote this in a, in a great letter to the church in Ephesus. He said this. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is who we are called to be. This is who Christ was. Will you practice that now? Will you practice living a life worthy of that calling? To, to kind of conclude this entire series, right? These three questions that I asked you. What would it look like to return good for evil? And what would it look like to remain faithfully innocent? And what would it look like to be humble and gentle and patient with each other? And I know what your question is. It's a valid question. Why would I do that? Why? Why would I do that? And the answer is because it's what Christ has done for you. Because you've been a butthead. You've been a bully. You've been a beavis. And Jesus was recklessly in love with you. 
if you were lost, if you out of a hundred sheep are lost, he would go after you. He would pursue you. If you were the lost son, he would be waiting outside every day, hoping you would come over that hill. And when you did, he would run out to you and embrace you. And he wouldn't even listen to your apology. He wouldn't care about your excuses. He would clothe you. He would celebrate you. And he would love you. Stupid, right? Reckless. Crazy. I call it remarkable. And that is who you are called to be. You're not called to be like everybody else. You're not called to live a predictable life. You are called to be remarkable because you were made remarkable. You were made different. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to sing the song, Reckless Love, which speaks so much to Christ's love for us. But as you sing these words, what I want you to think about is can you love other people in the same way? And not just, not just the people who are easy to love, right? Jesus said in the very first verse that we read that very first week, anybody can do that. Even Satan's demons can do that. What's hard to do is to do that for the difficult people. For the people who are hard to love. But if you could live that way, the places you could go, the things that God would do through you and in you, it would truly be remarkable. Can I pray for you this morning? Will you stand with me? Stand with me this morning and let's pray. Father God, Father God, would you help us to live this way would you help us to live remarkable lives the people who are around us who let us down the people who we try to warn we try to help and they don't listen they're some of the hardest people to love but God can we be honest for a minute I've been a hard person to love I've made some mistakes I've screwed up and you've still loved me and you've still been there for me and you've still embraced me. You've still called me a child of God. You've, you've given me more chances than I can count. You've always, every time that I've wandered off by myself, you've come and you've picked me up. You've carried me home and you didn't scold me. You didn't shake your finger at me. You you celebrated me. God, will you help us to live that same way? Would you help us to do that for everyone else around us? Would we live remarkable lives instead of predictable lives? God, we praise things in your name. Amen. If you'd like to leave a donation, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to speak with someone from Anchored Hope, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening and God bless.